Well, please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Village Church East. My name is Craig Jarvis. I am the lead pastor here at Village Church East. If I haven't met you yet, we need to make a date to do that. And uh, those of you that are online, I know we always have a bunch online this morning. We probably have a few more uh, because it's Labor Day and some of our folks are traveling. And I'm sure while they're traveling, they're still going to church and on Sundays, like we all do on our vacations, right? So uh, anyway, today is a very important day because we're starting a brand new series on spiritual warfare. Now, how, how much do you, does everybody know about spiritual war? Like, how, what, do you, what do you know about the spiritual realm? When I, when I ask people that question, they probably think, well, I, I know there's demons and I've heard of haunted houses and maybe you've had an experience yourself where you've uh, been in a situation where you're thinking to yourself, there has to be some demonic influence here. Every one of us kind of has an idea about the spiritual realm, whether we learn of it from, uh, from the movies in Hollywood or it's something that we've maybe experienced ourselves that is kind of like a, a weird experience that we don't usually experience and is different from the physical world. Over the next four, five, probably six Sundays, if we're gonna do this justice, we are gonna be studying this concept. I'm sorry, I'm popping, aren't I? Let me fix that, is that a little better? Uh, we're gonna be studying this concept of the spiritual world. And my hope is that kind of the, the blinders will be torn off of some of us uh, that maybe have learned a lot of the weird stuff about the spiritual world from Hollywood or whatnot and look directly at scripture and see what God has to say about it because the Bible does talk about the spiritual world. It talks about it quite a bit and it talks about it like something to be, um, to be knowledgeable about and something that you need to be aware of so that you can fight it. The bottom line is this. The devil is real, angels are real, and demons are real. There's an active spiritual realm that is constantly at work every moment of the day, even in this very room. What happens in the physical world affects the spiritual world. And what happens in the spiritual world affects the, spirit, the, the physical realm. You and I, unfortunately, and unbeknownst to most of us, you and I were born onto a battlefield. There is a battle going on around us, and most of us, unfortunately, are unaware. Michael at uh, Bartlett Campus is, is using an illustration of the cyber war that's going on, and how many times bad people will, uh, or bad intending people will influence and steal stuff in the cyber space, and you don't even know it. Your name's out there, your stuff's out there, it's being sold to the highest bidder, and you don't even know it. And in some ways, that is a pretty good example as to the situation we find ourselves in because we are born into this physical world with no knowledge of what's happening in the spiritual world. You and I were born onto a battlefield, and like civilians caught behind enemy lines, we did not choose this, nor would we want to choose this. But sometimes civilians need to fight. In this war, the moment you trust in Christ, you are no longer a civilian. You are a soldier on the battlefield. And by the way, you have no choice in this matter. You cannot do anything but fight. You are constantly being attacked. 
So over the next five or six weeks, we're going to talk about this, and I want you to know there's no possible way we're going to be able to answer everybody's questions on this, but I want to really encourage you, as Megan mentioned this morning, to jump onto VC Digital, all right? VC Digital, you can find it if you go to our website, vceast.org. You can find the hub. You can just find your way there. There's clicks that you can follow along. And if you want to be a regular subscriber, just sign up for our email, and you will get regular downloads of what's going on with our digital platform. This will be really helpful because in this week, uh, in the next four or five weeks, we're going to be dealing with questions dealing directly with what we're talking about on Sunday morning. Stuff I'm not going to have time to dig more deeply into. So uh, like two of the ones we did already this week are, do angels and demons die in spiritual warfare? Good question. How about this? Why doesn't God reveal more to us about the spiritual realm? You ever wonder about that? Those are questions, questions like that we deal with in the sermon Q&As. All of that is available on VC Digital. So I'd encourage you to get over there like Megan did this morning. You will enjoy, hopefully enjoy those conversations. For us, importantly enough, on Sunday mornings, I need you to be aware every one of these Sundays builds on the other. So I would encourage you, like, like you're here this morning and hopefully you're, you're online with us this morning, you need to be on this one because if you jump in like on number four without hearing one, two, and three, you might feel like you're hearing about unicorns in somebody's garage waiting to ride on a sunny day, all right? That's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So I'd encourage you to track along with us because my goal is to answer all of your questions from the beginning, which is why we're talking about today, the origins of spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about the beginnings of it and how it has progressed to our world today, all right? So uh, yeah, I want to encourage you to track along with us, follow along with us. If you're here this morning, you're, you're doing good. Uh, but if you want to tell somebody else, hey, you, you, you got to jump in on the first couple in order to understand where we're going uh, with, with this conversation. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what we're going to discuss. Who is the enemy? What is his battle about? And how did I get involved in the battle? Those are the three questions that we're going to uh, deal with uh, today. I have 72 slides for you today, some of which you've already seen. So we have a lot of slides because a lot of this is pretty much teaching. And, and when I teach, I like to give you visuals. So you're going to see a lot of slides pop up. And if you want to give Emma a little gift card to Starbucks, that would be really nice because her finger is going to fall off in the back as she's going through these 72 slides. Number one, the devil is alive and well in this world. We know that angels, demons, and Satan are all real, living, and active beings. They are active every day and every night. There is no moment of time that there is a lack of spiritual activity around us. The problem is we have a tendency to dismiss any talk of the spiritual realm as fantasy. When you bring this up to somebody, and maybe you're the same way, maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, four or five weeks, let's see, I could go to a different church, I don't want to hear about this. Maybe you're the same way, maybe you're thinking, this doesn't really have a lot to do with where we're at today. And most people would dismiss this as fantasy, largely because of what Hollywood has told us the spiritual world is about. Most people don't even believe the devil exists. I've often said 
the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince us that he doesn't exist. It's a dangerous, deceitful way to get you to believe you do not have an enemy. But you do. How many of you believe Jesus was a cuckoo? How many believe he was off his rocker? All right, nobody would put up their hand, right? Then you need to understand, Jesus talked to the devil, Jesus taught about the devil, Jesus warned about the devil, Jesus argued with the devil. Jesus talked to demons. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus did a lot of spiritual stuff. And so if Jesus believed in the spiritual realm, why don't we? So Satan is alive and well. And if you believe that he doesn't exist, you have fallen prey to his greatest ploy to convince the world he doesn't exist. Number two, where did Satan come from? That's a good question. This one is actually a little bit more abstract. We don't have any one singular passage that tells us where Satan came from. The first time we hear of him is in Genesis chapter three and verse one. Here's how it goes. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast, other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. All right, this is the first instance we have of a being named serpent, here he's called serpent, but a being we now know as the devil. Later on in scripture, this passage is explained. We understand this serpent to be the devil. The devil is in the garden. So we need to understand God created Satan. We don't know why God created Satan, but we do know that God created him with a purpose, and it was a good purpose. Why do I say that? Because God doesn't create evil. God created all that he created and said that it was very, very good. When did God create Satan? We don't know. Why, uh, why? what was his major purpose? We don't know, other than he was supposed to worship God just like everything else God had made. All we have is Genesis 3 where he shows up in the garden and he begins to tempt Eve. And here's how that goes. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Satan rebelled by questioning God's authority. Satan sinned when he was with Adam and Eve. Now, we don't know if there was a sin before this. We don't know if there was rebellion before this. We're not told anywhere in scripture that there's some sort of grand war in heaven where angels fell. We are not given that information. You know that is a possibility because you've got Dante's Inferno and you've got uh, all kinds of literature written about this and you've got Hollywood that, that is written about this as well. All we know is that Satan is rebelling, but all we have is this rebellion right here. Satan questions God. He actually contradicts God. Listen to what he says in verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall, what does it say, church? You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of this tree, of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan literally said, the serpent said to Eve, God is lying to you. God is not telling you the truth. God doesn't want any competition. <laughs> That's what he's saying to Eve. God knows that when you eat of this, 
You're going to be like him. And God's afraid of that. You see all of this rebellious nature coming out of the serpent. Again, we're not told of anything before this, just this rebellion here. And I happen to believe this is the rebellion that Satan is cursed for. I don't know what happened before, but I know this is an act of rebellion. Before Eve sinned, Satan did. He is a created being with all limitations. He is not omnipresent, he is not omniscient, and he is not omnipotent, meaning that he can't be everywhere at the same time, he can't know your thoughts, and he can't be all-powerful. He is a created being just like you. Satan lives in one place at one time with limitations. That never changes. But his rebellion is here in Genesis 3. And what we know is we're introduced in this passage to a rebellious creature seeking to gain followers in his rebellion against God. Satan's looking to build an army. We're not told why or even necessarily uh, what what the nature of his rebellion is here. We're just told that he is on a mission to ruin everything God made. Satan was cursed for this rebellion. And from this point forward, The spiritual rebellion gets interwoven with the physical rebellion and you can't tell the difference. The physical world and the spiritual world are interlocked in in their attempts to drag the world back into darkness and chaos. If you go down to verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all the other things. Satan was not cursed before this, I want you to know. So if you believe that there was a rebellion in heaven or whatnot, this is the curse of Satan. Satan, I believe, this was his rebellion and this was his curse. Also, it's interesting that he is a created being and somehow Eve is not terrified of what she's seeing. There's something compelling about this serpent, something compelling about this being that God had made. It was good. So I looked up the word serpent because I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. And we have a tendency to say, this was a snake in the garden. Let me help you there a little bit. In this passage of scripture, the devil is described not as a snake, but as the Hebrew word for serpent. This is also the word used in Hebrews chapter six, where Isaiah sees the Lord in his temple and beings, spiritual beings are floating around in the air with wings, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This word serpent in Genesis 3, I think we fault, to to our fault, think that this means snake, when in actuality it means spiritual being. And if you look carefully, Genesis 3, 1 says, the serpent was more crafty, and if you look down in verse 14, what we just read, the Lord God said to the serpent, God is careful not to use the word snake, but the word serpent. This, ser- this word serpent is actually spiritual being. And when you get to J- Isaiah 6, Isaiah doesn't call it a serpent. Isaiah calls the same thing seraphim. The word is seraphim. So not snake. The Bible does not snake to say that the snake was craftier than any other beast of the field. It says the serpent, the spiritual being that later on Isaiah would identify as a seraphim angel. And the consequence is he would crawl on his belly for the rest of his life. Now what does that mean? 
I don't know if it means the devil actually has to crawl on his belly. I think it's more of a metaphor that he would be cast down to the lowest possible because he wanted to rise himself up in pride. And instead, God casts him down so he crawls on his belly. Either way, what we do know is that the snake is a representation of this curse. So think of it like a rainbow. A rainbow is a representation of what? The promise of God to Noah. The promise of God that he would not flood the earth again. And every time my kids would see a rainbow, I'd always say, what does that rainbow mean? And the kids would always say, that's God's promise to never flood the earth again. That's correct. When we see a snake, that is our memory. It is a visual to us of this curse that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, why is God Satan's, or why is Satan God's enemy? Simply put, Satan does not want to live under the authority of God. <laughs> why wouldn't he want to live under the authority of God? Well, you struggle with the same thing, don't you? This is a natural struggle of existence of, the, of God's creation to want to rebel in some way. Now, why Satan had the ability to rebel and other angels had the rebel, ability to rebel and they don't now, I do not know. All I know is that we being created in the image of God have the same nature. We do not want to live under the authority of God. This makes him an enemy of God. Now, what is the devil's name? You want to talk about this one? What is the devil's name? Well, Craig, Satan is his name, or the devil is his name. I know this is going to rock your world. Satan does not have a name. In Scripture, the devil, uh, well, let's, let's talk about Satan first. Let's talk about Satan. In Scripture, Satan always has an article in front of it. It's all, we used to call them when we were in school determiners. You remember that way back when? It always has the, the Satan. Satan in the Greek always has an article, and the article, or, or the word Satan actually means the adversary. So Satan is not Satan's name, no more than Christ is Jesus' last name. You don't go up to Jesus and say, hey, Mr. Christ, how are you? Christ is not his last name. And Satan is not Satan's name. It is an it is a word describing what his nature is. He is an adversary of everything God made good. So we call him Satan. He works always to drag us back onto his side so that we can also want to be against everything that God made good. Well, what about the devil? Isn't the devil his name? No, the devil always has, again, the article in front of it, the devil. The devil means the slanderer. Again, simply put, the devil, when we describe Satan as the devil, we, we simply mean this is a being that contradicts everything that God says. He is a slanderer. This is why Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. He contradicts every truth that God puts forward. The devil does everything he can to using lies and deceit in order to drag creation, including us, back into the world of disorder and chaos. In scripture, the devil has a lot of different names too. He has the word Apollyon, which in the Greek is the, uh, in the Hebrew is the uh, word Abaddon, and it simply means the destroyer. You'll find that in Revelation and a few other passages. Lucifer, you're familiar with that one? Isn't Lucifer his name? Lucifer, again, does not refer directly to Satan in Scripture. It actually refers to the kings 
of the Old Testament that were used by Satan to rebel against God. Uh, Lucifer simply means light bearer. It's a Greek word that describes Venus, the third, uh, third brightest star in the sky. And so in the old times, they used Lucifer, this bright star, to describe the fall of the devil. So Lucifer is not his name either. It just refers to his fall, and it actually refers to Old Testament kings who were puppets that the devil was playing with. Bottom line is the devil is never given a name. We don't know his name. All we know is that all the names we have for him, devil, Satan, Lucifer, these all describe simply actions of rebellion that this being does against God. We even know Michael the archangel, at least the archangel. You know, there are angels that have names that we know about. Gabriel, we know that one. This angel, this bright, beautiful thing, this being that tempted, spiritual being that tempted Eve, was not even given a name. What is the nature of the spiritual war? Satan simply seeks to carry out this war effort to undermine God's creation by influencing people and play on their weaknesses physically and cognitively to get them on his side. Satan is looking to build an army. And he and his demons will use everything they can to get you on their side. Willingly or not willingly, cognitively aware or not aware, they want you to play and fight with them. As early as Genesis 11, humans have joined and actively participated in this war. In Genesis 11, we have this place called Babel. Have you heard about Babel? So if you go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, these people are trying to build a city whose tower reaches to the throne room of God. And what this was is, you can find this in, in mythology, old, old mythology, historical, historical mythology, and biblically, that there is a constant effort to drag the roots of the earth and touch them with the throne room of God. In other words, to connect, to bring God down. This place in Genesis 11 was called Babel, and it was called Babel because Babel means confusion, and God confused their languages and forced them to scatter. They disobeyed God because God said, go and fill the earth. What they were doing is they were consolidating and they disobeyed God's commands. Babel, by the way, turns on later into a place called Babylon. Babylon is the place that would rise up under, under the Babylonian Empire. This would be their capital city named Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over Na Babylon. Daniel was in this time of Babylon. Babylon was this great city that couldn't be destroyed and ultimately it was. But Babylon is always seen as a place of evil, the place that, that always seeks to connect the physical world with the spiritual world so that the physical world can overtake and overcome the spiritual world. Babylon is always referred to in Scripture as a place of rebellion, and in Revelation, Babylon is talked about again several times as this final city that would rise up, this consolidated city where people would go and it would be the place where they knew God was hated and they were on the other side. Babylon is always seen as a place of rebellion against God. By the way, ancient Babylon today is in the suburbs of Baghdad. That's where it's located, just sidebar. 
Spiritually, Babylon lives on today. The reformers thought Babylon was Rome. <laughs> that was under, under the Pope and the oppression of the Roman Catholic Church. But in, in these last days, when you get to Revelation, it's very clear that everybody is very tired of God. And if you want to fight against God, you would go to Babylon. It would be your place of comfort because that was a place where rebellion was seen most visibly. Revelation 18.2, listen to these words and let, let the chill go up your spine. In Revelation 18.2, he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for what church? For demons, a haunt for every what? Unclean spirit. So people are constantly looking for this great city that will, this consolidated geographical location that would rise up against the knowledge of God and his son, Jesus Christ, the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible always calls that place Babylon. It's where Satan consolidates his forces. It's where the evil spirits dwell. Remember, there's only a limited number of these beings and they are only in one place at one time. This is, by the way, sidebar. If you read the New Testament, the Gospels, and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus is always casting, everybody's demon-possessed. He's always casting out demons. Uh Uh-huh. Because if you think about it, if you knew that the Son of God was walking on the planet and you were the enemy, where would you send your forces? You see, the battle takes place, and so when you read the Gospels and see all these demons around and these demon-possessed people, this is only underlines the truth that we know there's a spiritual realm, and there, there are forces at play against God's plan. Next question. What ground has Satan taken in his rebellion? Well, sadly, I'm sad to tell you that with sin that entered into Genesis 3, all creation has been affected. All creation has been infected. When you see famine and hurricanes and, and when you see creation doing things, um, doing things that, that, that it's not created to do, things that damage itself, the Bible calls this as creation groaning under the weight of sin. He owns and affects a sin around us, disease, cancer, shame. This is why Jesus cast this stuff all out of people. This is not the way that it's meant to be. But when sin entered the world in in Genesis 3, it infected the entire planet. It infected everything around us. It infected you when you were born. You were born with a sin nature. Calvin said, from the crown of your head to the sole of your foot, you are influenced with a sin nature. And if you need me to prove this, look no further than, than just people that have little children. Do you have to teach them to be good or bad? Yeah, you have to teach them to be good. Why? Because being bad comes so naturally. And it never stops. We are born with a nature to rebel against the goodness that God created this world to look like. Satan trades all good things to evil endeavors. War, addiction, suicide, oppression, all of these things are results of the sin that has infected our world. And here's the deal. You may not have done anything terribly bad, but because you live in a fallen world, this is why we call it fallen, because you live in a fallen world, sin influences you too. People get lung cancer that never smoked before, and it's like, come on. Somebody else eats bacon their whole lives and they never have a heart attack. Somebody else has a heart attack at 40 years old. Come on. 
There's no favor to what this stuff does. We're not supposed to understand it. We're not not supposed to be influenced and infected like we are, but it has infected everything. Our first instinct is not to do the God stuff. Our first instinct is to do the evil stuff. When somebody hits you on the face, your instinct is to say, I'll pray for you, thank you for hitting me. Would you hit this side too, right? Is that? No, we don't do that. Jesus said you've got to learn to do that. You've got to learn to be that way because our first instinct is to join Satan in his war to influence and infect this world with sin. Romans 8.19 says it this way, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Look at the word sin. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Do you see it there? Creation was subjected to the sin that that was brought by this occasion in in Genesis chapter 3. All creation, including you and me, we are part of creation. All creation is in this battle, unwillingly, sometimes unknowingly, but we're in it, whether we like it or not. Sin, Sin began because of Satan's rebellion, and we are born behind enemy lines. But I love the way that this verse ends in Romans chapter 8. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In the end, church, we win. In the end, God wins. He gets it all back. That's the end. But in the meantime, battle rages, and you are born behind enemy lines. All creation and those who choose God's side will be soldiers on this battlefield for righteousness. All right, next question. Where do demons come in? Moses is actually the first one to use the word demons in the Bible. From that point, demons are spoken of throughout scripture. They are the spiritual power behind the rebellious nature of humankind. The devil can only be in one place at one time, but he can send his hordes out and they can influence all creation. And there are, there are myriads of these things. Demons are these spiritual beings that choose sides against God. They are on Satan's side and they are lesser spiritual beings than Satan. But just like there are, is a hierarchy of angels, you know about Gabriel, you know about Michael, you know, you know some of these, these, these hierarchies in the angelic realm, in the demonic realm for these fallen angels, these demons, there are also hierarchies. Some are more powerful than other, others. The disciples at one point in time were casting out demons and they couldn't cast this one demon out of this kid and and Jesus shows up and and they said, why can't we cast this demon out? Are we doing everything we used to do? And Jesus said, "Uh, this is a bad one. You're up against a hard one. This one one won't come out except with serious prayer and fasting. There are some that are stronger than others. These are spiritual forces at work behind God corrupt earthly power structures. If you're thinking to yourself, why do, our, why do the leaders of the earthly world think that they, like they do? They are being influenced by the demonic realm. 
Demons also work not just on authority structures, they also work on individual structures. If you face a malady, for instance, they want nothing more than to make that malady a 10. If it's just a two, they'd rather it be a 10. Their work is to pull all of creation back into disorder, pain, and chaos. And they'll work against you every time. Again, I'm not making this up. There's all kinds of scripture in in, in the Bible, and we don't have time to do it all today. That's why we're going to touch on a lot of these things as we go through. When you find, when we get to the one on spiritual weapons, we'll talk a little bit about Job and those kinds of things. But for now, hang with me, and we'll work through. Ultimately, demons work on a lower scale to pull God's creation back into disorder and chaos. And demons wage war constantly. This is one thing that I really um, dislike about the spiritual realm is that they play on our weakness, physical weaknesses. Whatever you struggle with physically, cognitively, whatever you struggle with, they will seek to work against you. Demons have one goal, to bring creation back into pain, disorder, and chaos. In Ezekiel's day, there was, there's a great passage of scripture that we go to typically to find out where the devil came from. And this is a great passage to talk about the demonic influence that goes on in our world around us. In Ezekiel chapter 28, it reads like this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am God. I sit in the seat of God. Does that sound like anybody you know, by the way? Yeah, it sounds like Satan, right? In the Garden of Eden. Because your heart is proud. This is king over a city of Tyre in the Old Testament. The Lord God said to him, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am God, I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and not a god, and you're no god, though you make your heart like the heart of a god. God is addressing the king of Tyre and his sin which sounds a lot like the sin of the devil in the garden. And so he's addressing him as if he were reliving the same experience that he did in the garden, this time with the king of Tyre. He said, you remind me of somebody. You're just like your father that I saw way back then. And you need to know something. If you read this in Ezekiel 28, God says to this king, you need to know something. You're not the king. There is a being behind you, a prince that rules over you, a spiritual realm that is pulling your strings. You're you're his puppet, he's the marionette. And the king is influenced to sound a lot like the devil. The king is influenced to sound like the devil because of the strings this demon is playing on him. And it could very well be the devil himself. Verse 14, if you go down, you are an anointed guardian cherub. Does that sound like anybody you might might know about? I placed you, this is God saying, I placed you for some reason in the garden. You were in the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. God uses this example in Ezekiel 28 about a rebellious king to talk to the king and say, you sound a lot like this guy, this being that was in the garden. And you need to know his end will be your end. You've chosen sides. Not only are you on his side, you're actively promoting it. And I'll destroy you, God says. The spiritual world 
is intertwined with the physical world. Which brings me to the next question. Where does Satan live? Where does this being live? Well, he lives where he got cast down to. Unfortunately, I'm sad to say, Satan walks among us. He's with us here. Now, he can only be in one place at one time. So whether he's in this room or he's got his demons in here, I'm not important enough for him to pick on, I don't think. But you might be, I don't know. There's somebody in this world that he's made his headquarters with, but he's got his, his worker bees, his, his minions, and they are assigned as well. He walks among us with his demons who got cast out with him. He is in one place at one time, and he is not in hell. Satan is not in hell. I'll give you one illustration of this, and I'm trying to consolidate because we've got so much to do. In the book of Job, Satan comes before God and says, you know this guy Job that's your follower? You know, he's on your side. He used to be on my side, but now he's on your side. I don't like him so much, and I think he's only on your side because of the, the, the swag you give him. You give him riches, you give him stuff. He's got animals, he's got, he's got a big, the biggest farm on the block. He's so rich, he's, his, his family's great. It's only because he, you're good to him that he follows you. So God says, okay, well, well, you're, you're wrong, but what do you want to do about it? So Satan says, if you take everything away from him, he'll curse you. And God says, you're so wrong, go ahead, try it. So Satan is given permission to take everything away, and he does. Destroys Job's life. We're going to talk about that story a little bit later. But what I want to point out to you right here is where Satan lives. Because when Satan appears before God, listen to these verses. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, church, what does he say? From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. Satan is alive and well and he lives among us in the spiritual realm. And nothing changes all the way through the Bible. Peter in the New Testament warns us about that as well. He says, you already know, you've got the book of Job, you've heard the devil's among you. And let me just tell you and remind you in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is on the prowl, and you're on his list, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. His goal is to pull everything back into chaos. Our goal is to create God's kingdom living experience here. That's the worst thing for him. What kind of power does God allow the devil to have? Well, the devil must operate, as we saw in the book of Job, the devil must operate under God's boundaries. Just like every angel has to submit. Angels submit to God, demons submit to God, the devil must still submit to God. The devil is under God's authority. This is a structure he must go through with. Satan had to ask permission to lay one finger on Job because Job belonged to God. The devil does not have the power to win this thing, but he has the power to destroy as much as he can in the process. And in the end, God wins everything back. Well, Craig, I thought the devil lived in hell. I'm glad you asked. I mean, you might have thought that. 
Hell is the final place of destruction, judgment for the devil and his demons. This is where when the war is over, this is where he will go for eternity. This is why hell was made. You may not have known this. You may have thought to yourself, hell is not a real place. Again, if you think Jesus was a kook, that's fine, but Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. So Jesus thought this place was real. And the place is real because hell was created not for humans. Hell was created as the final place of binding for these demonic spiritual beings that rebel against him. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those cursed on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for who, church? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Even Jesus teaches hell was never meant to contain humanity. Hell was prepared, created, as the final judgment holding place for these beings. And if you read that again, and knowing that the devil doesn't have a name, and uh, uh, if, if you read it in that context, and oh, by the way, angels in the Greek means messengers, read that verse again with that understanding. Here's what it says. Prepared for the slanderer and his messengers. All of those who join the side of the devil in rebellion against God choose the side of the slanderer. And that's why eternity has also humans in it who have chosen rebellion against God. By the way, some demons are already in hell. Did you know that? The devil is not. He chooses to live under God's authority. Some demons are already there. The demons that are there are too evil to let loose in this world. There's several passages on this as well. Here's one from Jude. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. In other words, these angels that are actually, these demons that are actually in hell right now have chosen to break out from under the authority that they were supposed to operate under and so God has put them in these chains in hell even now, they don't get to wander on the earth like the demons we deal with. All right, that's point number one. Point number two is a lot shorter, and that is this. Humans who enter this world find themselves on one side of the spiritual war or the other. You ever wonder why Jesus never saw a human being as his enemy? that ever occur to you? You ever wonder why he said to us, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek? You ever wonder why he said those things? Because, folks, humans are not the enemy. The enemy is the spiritual realm that influences humans. When Jesus died on the cross, even those putting the nails into his hand, Jesus prayed, what did he pray, church? Father, forgive them because they... They don't know what they're doing. But the spiritual realm did. They knew what they were doing. And the spiritual realm and the physical realm linked up and killed the Son of God. This is why Jesus never saw human beings as the enemy. 
This is why Jesus could talk to Pilate. Pilate says, what is truth? And he's looking at truth in the face. Jesus always looked beyond whatever the human being he was dealing with, and he saw the spiritual being behind that human being. And church, we need to be the same way. We treat humans like they're the enemy. We treat our wives like they're their enemy, our husbands like they're their enemy, our, our workers like they're the enemy, our bosses like they're the enemy. We treat our politicians like they're the enemy. We need to understand there's a spiritual war going on and there are beings influencing the physical realm just like our prayers influence the spiritual realm, these beings influence the physical realm. God always viewed humans as subject to the spiritual captivity that they were under. This is why when he even talked to the Pharisees, he said, you know who you sound like? You sound like your father, the devil. He always linked the physical to the spiritual. And the point is this. Jesus knew they were born on a battlefield and they're fighting for the wrong side. And church, you were born on a battlefield as well. You may not know it. <laughs> Most people don't. But all of us were born on this battlefield. We just don't know it. So what? Number war. Number one, this world is in a bad state of spiritual warfare. We are seeing, sometimes you see it more than others. It ebbs and it flows, right? That's why people talk about the good old days. Our memories have a tendency to kind of change things from what they were to, you know, compare them to what they are today and it's worse today and maybe it is. But ultimately the same effort is behind the power to drag all this back into chaos and disorder, and that is the spiritual realm. Look at the ground taken by Satan in his rebellion. Cancer, addiction, war, famine, oppression, suicide. Actual spiritual happenings that hurt people and create fear in humankind. This is the battlefield you were born into. You were born behind enemy lines. And the most amazing thing is that Jesus came behind enemy lines to save us. This nature to rebel against God has passed on to every human being after the Garden of Eden. Ephesians 2, 1 says this. You were dead in the trespasses, in your trespasses and sins, in, once, uh, in which you also once walked, following the course of this world, the course that was started back in Genesis 3, when you follow the course that something's already on. It's a ball that is rolling. You were born into this and you followed the course that this world was on. What course was that? It was, it, it was the course that followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're all born into this captive state. We all follow the prince of the power of the air. We all listened to the, the spirits that told us to, to go against God and rebel against him. We all listened to these spirits at work in the disobedient pull of our human nature, Ephesians 2 says. But then verse 3 comes along and says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, all of us, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, we were by nature children of what, church? We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I always chuckle when somebody says, hey, we're all children of God, not according to Ephesians 2 or not. We are children of wrath. The Bible calls us enemies of God. Why? Because we're born on the wrong side. And whether we know it or not, we fight for the wrong side. Jesus had to come in and stop that process. 
He had to come in and save us. He sent his son behind enemy lines to bring some out. God's wrath poured out against Satan and his demons, and it will be poured out against anybody who joins forces with them. You were born into a violent cosmic conflict, and you are on a side. Most people cooperate with the devil and don't even know it. Some people do. Some people know very well what they're doing is wrong, and they still fight against God. They still fight against what they know to be right. This battle that began back in Genesis 3 has spilled over onto human history, creating incomprehensible damage, and God has determined to allow history to display the truth of the gospel. What is that? That you could switch sides. <laughs> that, that there's a way for you to get out of this. That is why when you continue to read in Ephesians chapter 2, and, and you get down there and it says, listen to what it just says, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're done. It's so, it's so hopeless. But the next words are in verse 4, but God. But God. But God has offered you an option. But God has offered you knowledge. But God has revealed to you what's really going on here. But God stepped in and sent his son. But God being rich in mercy, I love those great words, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Jesus' death was the only way to defeat Satan's battle. And he pulled it off. And when he did that, when he rose from the dead, he took captives and made them free. Why did he do it? But God being rich in mercy and because of his great love for you. While we were still sinning against him, but God sent his son to die for us. Which is number two. Church, we need to tell people they can switch sides. <laughs> you can switch sides. You don't have to fight for the side you were born on. You don't have the power to win this on your own, but God does. God has shown us he has the power to do this when he raised his son from the dead. And I want to encourage you, stick with us because there's way more to come on this in, in weeks to come as to how we live on God's side. But this church, and this is where I want to leave you, this is why Jesus came to die. He waged war on the spiritual realm, and he won. This is what we've been talking about in the book of Exodus, believe it or not. Jesus was the the image of the shadows of all of those Old Testament tabernacle stuff. He's the, not the candle that sat in the tent. He's the light of the world. He's not the, the bread that sat and got moldy on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. He is the bread of life. He's not the water you got to keep drinking. You keep drinking just to, just to, to, to feed yourself. He is, he is the water that brings eternal life, like he said to the woman at the well. Jesus is everything the Bible promised him to be. And he came to save you so that you could switch sides. You gotta be on one side or the other. There's no in between. There's no Switzerland in this fight. You are on a side. Colossians 1.12 says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into into the kingdom of his beloved son. Faith in Jesus gives you the potential to overcome the evil one. We're going to talk more about this, but I want to leave you with this verse. 1 John 5, verse 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what, church? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Your faith in Jesus Christ is stronger than the power of the evil one. Your faith gives you the ability to overcome the evil one. That's why the Bible says you're more than conquerors. That's why the Bible here in James 4 verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and what will the devil do? He will flee. Why? Because if you're on God's side, you have more power than he does. That's how it works. Not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus has already done. He has conquered death and the grave. He has overcome so that we can be overcomers. In the next few weeks, we'll explore more about how this battle wages, what weapons we have to fight with. But for now, the bottom line, church, is God loved us too much to let us go. And that is the bottom line. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, gave us the power to overcome. And Jesus died on that cross faith in his death for your salvation causes you to become a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God. In fact, John says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you want to join the other side, you can. You are on automatically the devil's side, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You just, how many things happen to us in life whether we like it or not? They just do. You know, and it's like, come on, I got to deal with this too. This is like the worst news in the world. You were born behind enemy lines and you are on the wrong side. But the best news is Jesus has given you a way out. Faith in Jesus Christ makes you an overcomer and you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to the end of this message. There's so much information given out here that uh, I'm sure... um, has kind of blown some people away, even if I know the devil doesn't actually have a name. All the stuff we just kind of naturally take for granted, but when we look into your word, you give us a ton of information about this stuff. Most of all, Lord, I pray, most of all today, people are aware of the fact that there's a war that rages around us. We don't see it. We can't smell the we, we can't smell the battlefield. We can't he- hear what's going on. We don't know if there's, there's swords involved. We, we don't know any of that. All we know is that there is a battle going on. And your reputation is at stake. Help us, Father, to choose to be on your side, the side that promotes love and peace and justice and truth into this dark, dark world. May light always overcome the darkness through us first. Teach us, Father, how to, how to wage this war well as we go into the next few weeks. Help us to be incredible soldiers for the cross now that we know that there is a battle that rages and you have rescued us through the power of your Son. If there's somebody that doesn't know you as their Savior, somebody that doesn't, has never given their life, somebody who's, who's still in rebellion against you, Father, I pray that your Spirit would be strong in their lives minister to them even now as only you can. Convict them 
and draw them onto the side of righteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Well, we finish with communion each Sunday for the purpose of drawing us back to the most important thing, and that is where I ended, the good news. Literally, gospel means good news. And the good news is this. You were born on the wrong side, but God has transferred you out of his love for you under the side of righteousness. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're a soldier for the cross. You may not know it. You may not think I'm not much of a soldier. You can find out how to be a better soldier in weeks to come. But I want to tell you, just because you're a follower of Jesus, you are a formidable challenge to the enemy. And one of the greatest weapons you have is you have an easy access to God anytime you want it. Jesus took care of all of that. Through his blood, we go to the Father anytime we want. Anytime. My hope is as we go through this, this teaching over these next few weeks, we'll learn the power of prayer, the power that is behind this easy access we have to the Father. Ultimately, the only reason we have it is because of what Jesus has done. Jesus had to shed his blood, had to have his body pierced. He had to live a human life and die a human death so that we could have easy access to the Father. It is through his blood. It's on his back we crawl into the presence of the Father. And that's what we celebrate in communion. When you take the cup and it's juice and you drink it, and when you eat the cracker, the blood represents the blood, or the, the juice represents the blood that Jesus shed, and the cracker represents the body that Jesus gave. That's all it is. It's a representation. And when you do it, you're confessing out loud, I believe Jesus has died for me. And so I want to encourage you to think about that this morning. Your faith in Jesus Christ is, is represented when you eat and you drink each Sunday with us. If you're home, I want to encourage you, grab a cracker, juice somewhere out of the fridge. It's, it's not the, the item that changes, it's what the item represents. It represents that you know Jesus, Jesus' body and Jesus' blood is what it took for us to have a relationship with the Father. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us. I mean, doesn't this put a whole new context to, Genesis, uh, to John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he wasn't willing to let it go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him could jump on the right side. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No hell, only life with God. As we go to communion, I want to encourage you at home, grab those items, if you can, out of your fridge and participate with us in-house. If you'd come forward and grab the items out of the, uh, out of the, the table up in front of you, take them back to your seat. Just hang on to them. Don't eat and drink. Just hang on to them. I'll come up, and I'll read a passage of Scripture. We eat and drink together because we're all in this together, <laughs> a phrase that I'm learning to hate. But we're all in this spiritual battle together. And so I want to encourage you to, to participate with us. Hang on to it. I'll come up, I'll read, we'll eat, and we'll drink together, and we'll declare that our faith in Jesus Christ is the power that overcomes the spiritual battles. I want to give you a moment of silence. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you today in a way that you weren't prepared for, and maybe you just need to thank him for that. 
Maybe he's convicted you of a sin, something you've been doing that you've been participating with the enemy on. Maybe you need to confess that. Whatever it is, however God has spoken to you this morning, don't let that go by. Don't, don't, don't just let it pass. God has taken the time to reveal something to you. Would you just take a moment and thank him for it? Maybe surrender something to him. Maybe, maybe, maybe ask him to convict you more to live a life of faith. Maybe to be bold about your faith. Whatever it is, would you just take a moment and spend some time with him and then we'll sing, we'll uh, get, get the items and then we'll participate eating and drinking together. Take a moment with Christ right now. Father God, all I can think of is thank you. Thank you for revealing to us this cosmic war that has gone on through all of time and involves us. We don't like it. We don't want to admit it. We certainly don't want to admit we're on the wrong side. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. But for those of us that do, and recognize we have been an enemy of yours. Lord, I just want to say thank you for giving us your son and creating in us the ability through your power and your love for us and your sacrifice for us to switch sides. May we fight like there's no tomorrow for the truth of Jesus Christ. May we be bold for the cross, never ashamed. May we speak out like it's something we actually believe. And may you continue to bring people over from enemies of yours to sons and daughters because of your great love for us and your incredible sacrifice. And so I just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name.